If you were to ask a Hebrew, or even any of the Hasidic Jews who live in the Montreal greater area, what image blood of the covenant that phrase evokes in their mind, it would certainly be the image from Sinai, from the reading of the law, where Moses takes the blood of animals and scatters half of it on an altar and then half of it on the people. When I'm teaching confirmation class or even out of instruction and people say, you know, pastor, sometimes it seems like worship is really boring. I'll tell them, well, at least it's not bloody. It's pretty sanitary the way we do worship. Um, worship for the ancient people of God involved an awful lot of gore. That's the blood of the covenant. You see, the old covenant, the original covenant, because when God made the covenant at Sinai, he didn't call it the old covenant. It was the only one. He took blood, Moses, and sprayed it on God and the people and sealed the deal. And the deal was this. The Lord would be their God and they would be his people. That was the covenant. Now, that's probably the same image that the disciples had as they gathered with Jesus for the Passover meal and began to recite the whole event of what happened with God rescuing the people from slavery in Egypt, bringing them out to Sinai, and then cutting this covenant with them at the mountain. They were thinking about this deal that God had made, that God would be with them to be their God, and they would forever be God's people. But as they celebrate that covenant, Jesus makes a new one with them. It's the same new covenant that was promised through prophets like Jeremiah that we heard just a few weeks ago. I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the old one, the Lord said, which the people broke, even though I was their husband, says the Lord. This is going to be, if you will, a new deal. And God would once again be not only God for the people of Israel, but for all people, so that all people might become his people. That's the freight, the weight of what Jesus is doing when he says, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. My blood for a new deal. Now, the other thing that happens when I teach adult instruction and confirmation class is at some point, the question comes up about all these different denominations. We've got Roman Catholics, We've got Eastern Orthodox, American Orthodox, Lutherans of different varieties, Anglicans of different varieties, the United Church, Presbyterian, Methodist, Baptist, Pentecostal, Seventh-day Adventist, to mention nothing of the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses, who sometimes claim to also be Christian. How do we sort all this out? What do we do with all these different Christians? And as a pastor, I sat back in my study years ago and said, how, how do I make this a little bit simpler? Because... That's part of my job is to take very complicated things and try to make them easier to understand. And I realized that you could really split up all Christians into three different groups, just three, by asking two questions and seeing what people's answers were to those two simple questions. The first is, what did Jesus come to do? And the second is, where do I connect with Jesus now? Now, the first question, what did Jesus come to do, is going to be tomorrow night's theme. As we look at the evidences for Jesus's love 
that's what Jesus is doing when he comes into the world, is to demonstrate in concrete acts God's love and to take action on our behalf to save us. But tonight we're going to look at that second question. Where do we connect with Jesus now? What is the evidence that this Jesus of Nazareth from 2,000 years ago and thousands of miles away is still present with you and I? Well, I mentioned a few minutes ago that Jesus's words about the blood of the covenant might remind people of Exodus, especially if they're Jewish and they remember their Old Testaments. But the idea of a covenant reminds me of another set of words. Similar words might be familiar to some of you who are on this call. I, Charles, take you, Deborah. That's why she's sitting here, because she wanted to hear me say this right close and personal, not through the screen. To be my wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, until death us do part. Now, the reason why I think of those words when I hear the word covenant is because the marriage vow is probably the closest thing we have in our modern Western 21st century culture to a covenant. It's not a word we use very often. And sometimes, as I did a few weeks ago, we try and compare it to a mortgage or a bank loan. But it's, of course, much, much more than that. And the reason why a marriage vow is like a covenant is because it is fundamentally a promise to be there no matter what until separated by death. That's what we're promising. Come as former Prime Minister Paul Martin used to say, hell or high water, we will be there for each other. That's the covenant that God made at Sinai, which the people broke and it's the new covenant that Jesus makes with us, the unilateral covenant that he will keep both sides of, that he will be with us, as he says at the end of Matthew's gospel, even to the end of the age, no matter what. The question is where? Now, the other thing that happens at a wedding, almost always, is a meal. We haven't managed to get rid of that. Even if all it is is cheap hors d'oeuvres and some wine, there is a meal that is celebrated by the married couple and their family and the guests who are invited. In fact, nowadays, people worry far, far less about the part of the wedding that happens here and much, much more about the part of the wedding that happens in the reception hall and what kind of food we're going to have and what kind of drink we're going to have and who the DJ is going to be. The meal has become the liturgy of a wedding. And that's not all bad, because that has always been the centerpiece of biblical weddings is a meal. Which is why the Lord's Supper, more than just the making of a covenant, is a wedding banquet. It is Jesus making covenant with his people that for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, for worse and for better, I will be your God until death us do part, and of course, at Easter, we find out that even that can't possibly keep our Lord from keeping his side of the covenant. Mm -hmm. Our Lord Jesus Christ takes bread, blesses it, breaks it, and gives it to his people and says, take and eat. This is my body. He takes his own blood, 
infuses it with the wine and says, take and drink. This is my blood of the covenant given for you. When you join together as my people to celebrate this meal, this wedding banquet, you know that I am there. And not just there, but with all the promises that I have made to you. Now, there are other churches that answer this question differently. Where can we go for 100% certain to, with our eyes and with our mouth and with our nose, be in the presence of Jesus? Some people say, well, Jesus is at the right hand of God. And that is what we say in our creeds. He is seated at the right of the Father. The thing is, the right hand of the Father is not a place. It's not like Newfoundland, where you can put a pin on it in a map, or Laval. It's an office. It's a title. For example, if somebody would, were to ask me, where is Justin Trudeau, I could answer in the prime minister's office, even if he's in India, or Washington, or in his home riding of Papineau. Because the office isn't just a four walls and a desk. His office of prime minister is what he carries with him. It is the position that he fills. So to say that Jesus is at the right of the Father means that all power that the Father exercises flows through him. He is literally, and it's where we get that phrase, God's right-hand man. Other churches might say, well, Jesus is among us spiritually. We can't see him, but, but he's there spiritually. Now, that's also true. Jesus certainly is with us spiritually, but we have to be careful with what we mean by the word spiritual. Usually we think of spiritual as meaning ghostly or invisible or intangible, when the Bible doesn't really talk about spiritual that way. The Bible talks about spiritual meaning holy and righteous and just and merciful, which Jesus very much was in his body. And in fact, on multiple occasions, Jesus gave an out to the disciples, or the disciples wanted to take and give Jesus an out to say, I'm not really a body. I'm just here spiritually, and I'm temporarily in this flesh and blood. For example, when Jesus walks on water on the Sea of Galilee, and the disciples yell out, look, it's a ghost. Jesus could have said, ah, you got me. I'm spiritual and you're not, but he doesn't. In fact, he actually calls to Peter in his flesh and blood to get up out of the boat and walk towards him and grabs him as he sinks below the waves with his own hand, his very physical flesh and blood hand. So when we say Jesus among us spiritually, what we really mean is that Jesus is among us with his righteousness in making us who are sinners righteous in his presence. Even at Jesus' resurrection, where people would have been forgiven for thinking, well, surely he's now a spirit. Surely he's now a ghost because dead bodies don't rise back to life. When Jesus appears to the disciples and they try and make that connection, he says, look, give me some fish and I'll eat. And you'll see that I have flesh and bones because a ghost does not. And of course, other people would say, well, if I want to connect with Jesus, then I know that he lives in my heart, which is sort of true. Although if you read scripture really carefully, what it says is that the spirit lives in our heart. And so yes, 
because the Spirit comes from the Father through Jesus, in that sense, Jesus does live within us in the Spirit. But it's really more accurate to say it's the Holy Spirit that lives in us, not Jesus. And on the other hand, if people are like, well, if you need to know where Jesus is, you need to look in your heart. Um, I don't want to have to perform open heart surgery every time I want somebody to see Jesus. I mentioned to Emily during the earlier service at four o'clock with all of the emails that we send out every week in response to people, we would have to hate having to keep cutting out our heart and sending it electronically to people and say, here's Jesus. What a blessing that we can point people to the place where Jesus said he was going to be and he will be there 100% of the time. And where are those places? Every time we gather together in his name, in his word, where his word is proclaimed among us, Jesus says, I will be there because I am my word and my word is me. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you can ask me whatever you wish, Jesus said at the Last Supper, according to John's gospel. Jesus is there whenever someone is baptized. John the Baptist said, look, I'm baptizing you with water. But one who is coming, who is mightier than I, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And we don't always see the fire baptism. But we do know that wherever people come to that font or a font like it, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that is Jesus who is doing his work and making you his child and making you his own and saying, this is part of the new covenant, that I am now your God and you are my child. And of course, on Holy Thursday, we point to the altar. This is the one place where Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me because I will be there. We have so much great hymnody that talks about that. The great paradox of the fact that Jesus is both the one who invites people to the table and who is in fact what is being served at the table. He is both guest and host. He makes us with his one body to be one body of which he is the head. And so we want to point people to the place where Jesus, Sunday after Sunday, promises to come and be present among us. That's the place. Do this in remembrance of me. When we gather together to eat his body, we become one body. And Jesus is there among us. So if someone asks us the question, where do I go to find this Jesus? Wherever the people of God are gathered to hear his word, where the people of God are gathered to be remember their baptism and to baptize new people into his body, wherever we gather for the wedding feast, to hear one more time the covenant that Jesus made with us, that he would be with us always, for richer, for poorer, for better, for worse, in sickness and in health and that not even death would be able to part us. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.